Today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians, and my title is Deepening Our Relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're actually going to step away slightly from the, the um, going through verse by verse of Ephesians and just stand back a bit and look at this particular theme that runs right the way through. And last time, we looked at the Trinity and how the behavior of the Trinity in terms of showing love was something that was a model for us. And we saw Jesus, a model for humility and gentleness. We saw the Father, who is so patient, bearing with us with one another with love. And we saw the Spirit, unity and peace. And this idea of Trinity is woven through Ephesians Unlike, more so I would say, than any other book in the New Testament, although the word Trinity isn't used, so often this concept is there. And so uh, I'd like to just step back and look at the overall concepts there in the book, and particularly I'd like to focus on our relationship. You know, when we talk about relationship with God, Often we have a very sort of nebulous, well, it's God, sort of um, generalized concept of God, but actually God is three persons. And we're going to talk about relationship with Father, relationship with Jesus, relationship with the Spirit, and then an invitation to enter this. And my goal is to deepen and enrich our relationship with God. And so I'm going to start by looking at some verses in Ephesians 2, and then the main one is going to be in Ephesians 3. So just briefly, Ephesians 2, for he, as Jesus, is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility. He did this to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body, to God, there's the Father, through the cross. So we've got Jesus, we've got the Father, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So an example of how he's woven Father, Son, and Spirit together in this passage. And uh, this is uh, the, the idea of the Trinity, even though it's not, given that name, right from the beginning, the church recognized the Trinity. And an ancient and rather beautiful symbol the church had for the Trinity was this, which is three in one, and it's actually all joined together, but three distinct parts. And I love, I love that image. So what does it actually mean that God is one God but made of three persons? And uh, what it means that they have a different personality, they have a different identity, um, they have a different consciousness, but they're all together in one being. Now, it doesn't, it's not like there are three different people that said, oh, let's, let's get together and call ourselves God, three spiritual beings. No, they actually, have, they actually share in the essence there's something that they all share together in the essence, and, um, but they are different people. There's an error 
around, you hear it sometimes today, that there's one God, and he, when he puts this face on, you call him Jesus, and when he does this, we call him Spirit. No, there are three beings. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it wasn't God the Father or the Spirit hanging on the cross. It was just Jesus. And uh, if you can't understand this and wrap your head around it, then, then you're... you're you're sharing that with all of Christianity. So don't, don't worry about that. God, you wouldn't expect God to be completely understandable by humans or it'd be a human invention. He is beyond our understanding, but nevertheless, he's given us these, these pictures and images. So if suddenly one day you say, oh, now I completely understand the Trinity, then you've got it wrong. So, so, I'm not going to completely explain it today, as I said, but we are going to look at some very important features of what this means. And I'm going to suggest that there are three persons and we can actually have a different kind of relationship with each of us, which enriches our relationship. Now, I've got a number of grandchildren and uh, we've got three girls who will be coming across from France in the next month. And I could say, oh, I've got a relationship with those girls. But unless I actually have a relationship with them individually, there's not a proper relationship. So this is my goal then today. So moving on to Ephesians 3, we read, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith because you've been rooted and grounded in love. Isn't that a wonderful expression, rooted and grounded in love? I just love that. Um, I'm going to uh, continue then that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wow. And the idea here, it's not the fullness of God, the fullness uh, filled up to all the fullness of God. Sorry, it's not filled up with the fullness of God, filled up to it. Imagine you've got, so I've got a, a kettle in our kitchen which has got measures on the side of it, and the top measure, it's, it's the full. And when I fill it up, I can fill it up right to the full measure. And this is the idea that we're filled up right to the full measure with God, right to the, the top measure with him, all the fullness of God. Now to him, as the Father, who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all we can ask or think. Well, I just love that. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I've given you this verse to show how clearly these persons are woven together in this passage, these verses here. And we saw the, the previous one screen was the Spirit and Father and Son are on this one. So the main point here is that there is a real relationship with each of the three persons. Each has a different part to play and each wants us to enjoy 
the other two. So the Spirit is here saying, I just want to give you Jesus and, to, and you to appreciate the Father more. And the Father says, I'm giving you the Spirit so you can experience Jesus in you and know the depth of his love. And Jesus is saying, I love my Father so much, I've come to reconcile you to him so you can love him like I do. So each of them wants to draw us into relationship with the other. So I'm going to then look at these three relationships. And first of all, I want to look at the Father. Now, I want to say, to start with, uh, to avoid confusion, God is not gendered. God is not gendered. The idea of God being father is, is uh, an image that we can understand. We call this, the technical term is an anthropomorphism. Like we say, God's hand. Well, God doesn't literally have a hand. You know, he's spirit, but we, it's like an image that we use, God's hand. Um, and so God, and in fact, it very clearly says in Genesis 1, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female created them. He, he, them. he created them. So um, to represent God, to image God, it needs both male and female. He's created us all together as an image of him. So God is not gendered. The expression father is uh, an image to help us understand this aspect of his relationship. Although occasionally he's portrayed with mother language in the Bible. Now, in the history of the church, there's been a lot of emphasis on Jesus, quite rightly. And more recently, an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. But the Father rarely gets the emphasis he deserves and yet, Paul talks almost as much about the Father as he does about Jesus. And as I said, Jesus came with the purpose of reconciling us to the Father. Um, we, we read the um, uh, last point there, reconciling us with the Father, Ephesians 2.16, to reconcile them both in one body to God, the Father, through the cross. So... Um, one of the ways which we're joined, connected to the Father, the image of, is there of adoption, but, but another one I think more powerful is the image of actually being born as, as, as children of God. So 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born from God and knows God. And this is in John, you know, the famous verse, you must be born again. Well, actually, as I've said before, born again is not the best translation. It actually literally says born from above. And that it means being born of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means actually carrying God's DNA in you. When a child is born from parents, there's some sort of resemblance there, some, something connects. And here John is saying, if you are born from God, then you will have some of God's love in you because it's like his spiritual DNA. And so um, as a genuine son, you carry some of the DNA of God and so you will naturally behave like him. Um, many people find it easier to relate to Jesus as father because of negative experiences of their own father in their lives. In fact, um, there's nobody has perfect fathers unless there's somebody here had a perfect father. 
Yeah, no, no. Okay, and I'm a father. I'm not a perfect father. All of us have flaws, and those flaws can get in the way of our appreciation of God. And we tend to impose those feelings on him, not just from fathers, but from other authority figures in our lives. I mean, let me give you an example. Supposing you're driving along, and in the rearview mirror, you notice a car of an authority figure. Maybe it's got a blue light on the roof or something like that. Do you suddenly feel a warm feeling, oh, this wonderful protective force is just behind me? <laughs> Probably not. Um, not that the police don't do a wonderful job, but, you know, it's, we don't always have perfect experiences of authority figures in our lives. And we can impose that on God. And this is why it's so important to make sure that we haven't mixed these things up in our own minds. My own father was brought up in a household with an alcoholic dad who was physically abusive. And he had a lot of trauma from that. But he was saved, and he was able to completely detach his view of God, the Father, from his earthly father, and had an extraordinarily close relationship as, with God as Father. And it is possible, it's possible to do this. And the way we do it is by informing our relationship, our idea of God, from the Bible, from what the Bible tells us of God. And um, one of the best things that Jesus, stories that Jesus told us was the lost son. Do you remember this guy, this, this, this um, boy who was so bad, he basically said to his dad, I want all of your money now, all of my money now, and I want you, like, I, I want you to behave as if you've died now and given me your money. And he went away and spent it on, a, on, a, on a, in another country, and he came back and expecting a really rough tr um, reception, and his father you know, put his robe around him, gave him a ring, just... It just gave him so much love. Why did Jesus tell us the parable, and we shouldn't call it the lost son, we should call it the wonderful forgiving father. Uh, why did Jesus tell us that? To get us to understand what the father is like. So when we mess up, then we can think, oh, but you know, he's like this. And we can rewrite our mental image, our script of what a father is like from stories like that. There are a number of stories that Jesus told of the Father that are like that, and not just in the Old Testament. I'm going to leave you with a, a beautiful verse from the Old Testament about God as Father. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So this is like a father with a baby. So Sujetha can probably relate to this, singing the baby to sleep. Do you ever sing the baby to sleep? There we go. So can you imagine this is what the father is doing with you? He has you in his arms like a baby, and he's just quietening you with his love when you're upset. So this is what you need to, to internalize when you pray to the father. You need, and you need to be intentional about this. This is the father you are praying to, the father of the lost son, the father who takes you in his arms and sings you to sleep when you are, are stressed about something. So I love that. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful verse. So let's look back at Ephesians 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, that Christ may, be dwell, may dwell in your hearts through faith. <clears throat> so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. And then I want to end with this Father verse. Now to him, that's the Father, who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is a prayer to the Father. So verse 14 says, I kneel before the Father. It's about Christ. It's about the Spirit. But Paul is praying to the Father, kneeling before the Father, and he is... um, He's got these wonderful words about God's heart. Verse 16, the wealth of his glory. Verse 20, able to do above all we ask or think. In other words, what the Father has for us is greater than all of our expectations. Okay, so that's the Father. I'm going to move on now to Jesus. And uh, the Jesus references in, in the same passage. I'm just going to highlight them. Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Um, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then verse 21, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. And um, this is verses 18 and 19, I think, are one of the most amazing prayers in Scripture. I preached a whole sermon on that a few weeks ago. And this theme is throughout Ephesians. Moving on, I'm going to move on later now to Ephesians 5, which also has got this theme of Christ's love. And this is probably the greatest expression of it in the whole of the Bible. And here it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What are you saying, Paul? What are you saying? That actually marriage is just there as a picture for us because the reality is Jesus and us. That's what it's saying. The reality that marriage points to is Jesus and us. And if you think husband and wife are closely connected, so much close they can be called one flesh, that's just a picture. And he says, this is profound. In other words, you know, this is so deep. But this is the reality. There's a destiny that we have in our relationship with Christ. And uh, we're just given the picture. But here is the bride and bridegroom picture, not just here in Ephesians, but throughout Scripture. Like um, Isaiah, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Revelation 21, we're pictured as the bride and as a wedding feast. Psalm 45 is a song about the wedding of Jesus, and it's similar to Song of Solomon. It's just a most beautiful, beautiful song. And um, there's uh, uh, Hebrews 12.2, and this is just a wonderful verse. Jesus, he's on the cross. He says, for the joy 
that were set before him. In other words, the joy of us, the joy of you, the joy of me. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised this pain he was going through because his love for you and me was so intense. So we need to have this in our mind when we are thinking of praying to Jesus. We're praying to the one who loves us with this intensity that he gave his life for us and wants us as his bride forever. We just need to grasp this and and talk to him as this person. Can you see why it's valuable to, to have the Trinity in our prayers? Can you see that? There's a richness there, isn't there? I've, as I did this study, I just enriched my own prayer life because there's a, there's, a, there's a power, there's a richness here. So what about the Spirit? Well, how do we feel the love of Jesus? Uh, we... When we feel something in our bodies, in our hearts, when we feel it, it is the Spirit who actually does that work. He actually does the work of making, of giving us that feeling of love. He is the presence of God with us. And he's, the role that he's taken up is to be like a channel. He loves to serve. The Spirit loves to serve. The Father loves to serve. Jesus and, and love to serve us, but how he wants to serve us is by bringing us all together. That's how he loves to serve us. So it's through the Spirit that we feel his love, and he is a person, not a force. There are verses that speak of grieving the Spirit. You can't grieve a force. He's not, he actually is a, a, a force with um, an individual, individuality. So what about experiencing him? Um, so there's a, a, an interesting verse in, um, in chapter 1 of Ephesians. It says that he is the advanced deposit of our inheritance. Well, what does that mean? Um, it means that he brings some of heaven to us now. You know, if you put a deposit on something, you want to buy something that needs a deposit, maybe it's a house or something like that or a car, and you have to put so much money down, that's like, as a promise, you're going to be paying the whole thing. It's some of the whole thing. And this verse is saying that the Holy Spirit is a deposit of heaven. Uh, we're getting some of that now. So when we're feeling joy, or when we're feeling this closeness to God, this is through the Spirit. You do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, literally, Daddy, Father. So the emotions that we feel are gifts of the Spirit, the positive emotions. And here it's saying fear is not from the Spirit. The Spirit will bring you this feeling of he's my dad. And that we know that Jesus is our dad, but when we feel it, sorry, the Father is our dad. When we feel it, it's the Spirit bringing this to us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. So it makes us feel fathered. So when we talk about our relationship with God, it's actually the Spirit who makes it work. It makes it actually happen in our lives. So um, a relationship, though, of course, is something you have to, you have to put work into. You have to actually... Um, uh, you have to maintain, you actually have to put time into it. And uh, 
So if, if I was to say to, to Anne, I would say, Anne, I want more of you. Well, she would say, well, you have all of me anyway, Anne, Andrew. You know, I'm married to you, but like, if you want more of me, why not spend more time with me? No. <laughs> so, that's, so if you want more of God, it really does come down to more, more time with God. And some examples, uh, communicating with God, times of prayer, reading the Bible, just experiences, his, his, thinking about his answers to our prayers, felt sense of his presence through the Spirit as we, as we pray to him. And I would say, any way that God chooses. Now, people have tried to formularize getting closer to God and say, do these steps, you need to be closer to God. But, you know, God won't, won't be formularized like that. And if you are hungry for God, he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So I would say the number one thing to do, answer to this, be hungry for God. And then you will naturally want to pray to him. You'll naturally want to read his word. You'll naturally want to think about, you know, what's he done for me? Just think about the wonderful things. You'll naturally want to do that uh, if you're hungry for him. So uh, that is what I would suggest. You may have heard of the term spiritual disciplines. And that's, that's not a bad term. It sounds like disciplines. But no, it's actually like, planning out times. I'm going to spend this time with God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go, go to this place, um, just spend that time praying. And just disciplining ourselves like we do physically to be healthy, um, to be intentional about spending time with God. So um, let's then try and pull these things together. We've talked about a relationship with Father, relationship with Jesus, and um, the relationship with the Spirit. And I want to pull these together into an invitation. And uh, I've got one more thing here that might surprise you. And uh, here it's in the passage in Ephesians 3, where it says, rooted and grounded in love. Um, it says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now, why does he say comprehend with all the saints? Well, this is just one place, but there's lots of places dotted through all of these expressions of love where it looks like that it's not just an individual thing, it's a communal thing. And to experience God's love more, you need actually to be connected with other believers and do this together. Because partly we experience his love through other people. And God shows his love to us through others. And we're going to be seeing more of this as we move into Ephesians 4 in future weeks. But I'm giving you a preview here. Community is absolutely essential for developing a relationship with God. Community is vital. This is why we try and spend time together after we've sung and heard God's word, just together spending time in community, because that is so vital. So I can't emphasize that more. So I'm going to pull these things together now. Um, and uh, this is the love story of the scriptures. Uh, the love story of the scriptures is God's love for um, the, his son and his joy in preparing a bride for him. So this is love between the members. 
Jesus' love for the Father, his willingness to do anything for him, especially to restore relationship with mankind. The Spirit's delight in selflessly lifting up the Son and the Father. We're caught up in this embrace. Now, that picture I showed of the Trinity, I'll just put it back to that. Can you imagine that you're right in the middle of that, being loved by all three? Does that feel good? So I may have told you this story before, but apparently my parents tell me that when I was very little, when my parent, my mum and dad would hug, I would just do all I could to squeeze in the middle there. Because <laughs> I could think of no better place than squeezed up in between my mum and my dad's hug. That was the safest place on earth. And, you just, and I want you to imagine yourself in the middle there, between the love of the Father for the Son and the Spirit, and their love for one another, and you're in the middle experiencing that love. And so um, these, these are the loves that you're experiencing. We're caught up in this embrace, and we need to enter into it. So I'm going to put up an invitation here. The Father says, the Father is inviting you right now. He says, I am the Lord your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And Jesus and the Spirit invite you. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, bright and morning star. The Spirit and bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He's saying, come. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, this is an invitation for you. He says, come. Come to me, and I will fill all of your emptiness. I will give you myself. I will invite you into the greatest love you could ever have, far better than all the other stuff that you're seeking for. Put that aside and focus on me. Come to me and ask me to be the one who satisfied you, and I will do that. So I want to end now with my last slide here. Father, Son, and the Spirit. I'm going to try and summarize very, very briefly the image now that we have. Uh, This is the image from the Father. I want you to to hold in your your mind as you're praying. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And think of the parable of the the loving father who embraced that son who'd been so wrong. So think think of those two images when you're thinking of the father, the one who sings the infant to sleep in love and the one who welcomes back the son that's treated him so badly. That's your father image. Um, the, the son image, he for the joy of being wedded to you, the joy of a future being wedded to you, that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. So think of Jesus going to the cross and thinking, this is nothing because I love you. I love you, Rebecca. I love you, Wilkinish. I love you, Mark. I love all of you so much. I love you individually, and this is why I'm doing it. Think of this Jesus. So when you're praying, just have this image of Jesus. He has such a passionate love for you that the cross was nothing. And then when you think of the Spirit, you know him, for he dwells with with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans because I'm sending you the Spirit, and he's going to give you the feeling of my presence. 
And so when you're praying to the Spirit, you just thank him that he's, he loves to bring that warmth and presence of God to you. He loves to be the channel, the flow of joy into you. He loves to bring you all of those gifts of the Spirit, those fruits of the Spirit of, of joy and peace and things like that. He is just coming with armfuls of good things for you to experience. So think of the Spirit in that way. And uh, we're going to pray right now to Father, Son, and Spirit. And I invite you to join me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary patience you have with us. You are the loving Father who welcomes us back every time we sin. You put your arms around us and you say, you're dead, but now you're alive. You're lost, but now you're found. You're my son. I delight in you. Thank you for that image we have. And thank you, you're the Father who when we're distressed, you hold us in your arms and you rock us and you sing over us in love. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful, wonderful love and care and compassion that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the intensity of love. You desire us so much. You, you want us for eternity. You want to spend eternity wedded to us. And because of your joy over us, the cross was nothing for you. Thank you for this intensity of love. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that your joy is right now to, to give us these feelings, to give us this joy, to give us these gifts and these, these, these uh, fruits in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we are not orphans because we feel your presence. Thank you for bringing all of this to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the richness. Thank you, Jesus, for the love. Thank you, Spirit, for this wonderful gift. All of all Trinity, we praise you and thank you now. And we pray that we will experience all three of you in deeper ways throughout our lives till we see you in reality and glory. Amen.